The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Michelle Kwan. In 1996, the world was in the midst of a massive cultural movement that saw women finally taking center stage. Nowhere was this shift more apparent than at the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta. This audience was the loudest thing I have ever heard in my life. The noise, everybody's cheering, and we see all these USA flags. It was the most important summer in women's sports history. And team after team after team, the U.S. women kept winning. Basketball, soccer, softball, gymnastics. I just said, give me mine. Like, give me mine. Join me for Dear Media's Summer of Gold, presented by Together. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ugh, I'm not in the mood. Do we have to do this? Yes. Wait, are we recording? Okay, let's go. You're listening to The Alley Colbert Show. Hey guys, welcome to The Allie Colbert Show. I have a very fun, special guest for you today. If you like movies like myself, you're a movie buff, uh, or you're an aspiring writer, or you just love rom-coms, Jonah Feingold, director and writer, is here um, talking about his new movie, Dating and New York, which comes out Friday, September 10th. Uh, Jonah and I sit down and we talk about how his his delightful rom-com came to be and what to expect next. So have a listen. So hi, Jonah. Um, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much I, for having me. I'm, I just started rolling on my, uh, my recorder, which is why I like focused in and also Amanda's here. But I watched your, your film last night, at Dating and New York. And I have so, it brings to mind so many things, so many films that I love. It's totally refreshing, but also like is the comfort food of a (laughs) rom-com at the same time. I'm curious, what are some of your favorite rom-coms? I mean, I felt a lot of, I hate to say, am I allowed to say Woody Allen, Amanda? (laughs) Um, Like so many of these like, kind of like Annie Hall stepping outside of the narrative moments. Um, but anyway, just, just talk to me about rom-coms and your love of rom-coms and, and everything like that. Totally. Well, you know, and and by the way, on that front of like, that's not the first filmmaker that I've definitely like would come to mind. He's obviously a very like disturbed human being. I do feel like there's a lot of other very talented people that work on those films. And so you want to still support them, you know, the crew and everything. So it's, it gets tough. I think my favorite rom-com ever is obviously When Harry Met Sally. Love that movie so much. And getting more obscure, there's a movie called L.A. Story that I encourage people to go check out Call um, that's with Steve Martin. It's super magical and fun. And I really fuck with like 27 Dresses and, mm. and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and Hitch and like the 2000s era rom-coms. Like where do you stand on How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. I think, yeah, I was just thinking about Kate Hudson this morning. Um, How to Lose a How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is incredible. It's it's uh it's just like a movie you can always watch. Yeah, and it's like the prem the way that they 
cultivate the premise and like the plot of like they're both they both have a bet they both have a secret it's like that's great great like you know filmmaking plot device but uh i would say you've got mail is a great one you've got mail is maybe one of our biggest inspirations simply because it took that is a time capsule of film you know you can watch that movie and say oh this is aol era email and where right. you know you can you can it's not like a dm it's not like a you know tinder match it's fucking aol under a fake username and so I think that that was a big one because we wanted to see how you can make something that was both classic but modern, which obviously Nora was a master of. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of those elements and details that make it so like hyper specific to the time we live in. And just like a, a more uh, like romantic exploration of a dating app is interesting and like necessary. Um, and it's not something we see enough of in a weird way because it's everywhere. But then in film and television, it's never there to the extent that I feel like it's looming over our dating lives. Um, but what is your experience with dating apps? And you were telling me before you were doing a podcast for him. Like, are you an obsessive dater? What's going on? No, <laughs> no. Well, by the first of all, I think it's funny that you and I reconnected over the professional connection tool known as Raya. Right. Which, am I allowed to say that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, so- yeah, yeah. Like obviously I'd been a fan of your of your work, but then you know, we matched on Raya and we were like, hey, we have never gotten coffee yet. Like I think that's kind of a fun little plot line. But my obsession with dating apps is I used to work at BuzzFeed. So I was sort of like in the machine of putting out content constantly, video content, and being the zeitgeist in terms of like what modern romance was shaping out to be. This was when I lived in LA and you were using apps like Bumble and Tinder, and Hinge was sort of like not necessarily in yet. And I went to USC and at USC, the founders of Tinder were like, yo, download this app. And everyone sort of like was embarrassed to be on it, but we were all sort of curious about it. And I think it's just, I love modern rom-coms. I love talking about the minutia of dating in like a very serious way. My favorite dinners are when it's me and my friends and someone owes somebody a text message and we spend the next two hours talking about what that text should look like. And the, you know... What what does it mean? What what is the interpretation of these three text messages that you got in a row? But then she didn't respond for a week. Oh, maybe she went. Maybe she's married. You know. Right. <laughs> so like, hey, right. I love I love talking about that kind of stuff. So, dating apps. You know, brief history of that is I I was lucky enough to host a podcast for Hinge called Dating Sucks with my amazing former co-host Alana Dunn and. Her and I had gone a couple dates and then we were like, it didn't work out. And she had just gotten something serious. And then she called me months later and she's like, we should do a podcast together. And I was like, that sounds great. And we were basically this like in-between point of like the hinge data and an average listener. And so we were able to connect data points to dating. And it was fun because we weren't like trying to give you advice. We were like, here are the numbers, you know, yeah. X amount of, you know, you know, seven out of 10 people ghost because they don't know what to say to somebody. So like that kind of shit. And is that true? Uh, that specific stat is not correct, but okay. <laughs> the reason that people tend to ghost is because they didn't know what to say. So we did an episode about what you can say. And we actually brought on two political speechwriters to come write that. And they came up with something that I'll never forget called ACT, A-C-T-T, uh-huh. which is acknowledge, compliment, terminate, acknowledge, compliment, terminate, and thank. And it's this idea that... Oh, that works. Yeah. So I don't know. So like that, dating apps have just sort of always been the zeitgeist. But to your point, I didn't think there was a movie that properly explored the minutia of dating app culture in a very specific way. Yeah, definitely. And do you feel looking at this movie that are you like, I accomplished that? 
this is a question I have for a lot of filmmakers and like screenwriters. It's like you have a story in you. You feel that you express it to the best of your ability. You get some version of what you were thinking out. But then the next film you make could be another kind of iteration or angle on that that you felt like, oh, now that I'm watching this, I can't wait to explore this side of it or, you know. Have you seen that Ira Glass quote where it's like, as an artist, we want the 100% we usually get like the 70. Right. I think I think about that daily. And I think it's a great question. And you're absolutely right. Like, yes, I think I accomplished what I wanted. I wanted it. I miss you text sequence, you know, where it's like jazz fucking music and drums. And it's like this climax. The movie is literally a text message. But it, when you, hopefully, if you're listening, you should go watch it because it's not what you think. But I do feel as if, yeah, I look back and I'm like, cool, the next movie, we're going to take it to an even further level. Because now I know how it can play into a story and how we can push it with graphics and how an audience is going to interpret separate things. And some of that stuff you just don't get until years of reflection on the art. Yeah. Yeah. And how did this specific story, this cast, this team come to be? I mean, watching it. So I I, I do happen to know a lot of the, the folks in the cast. And I was surprised when I saw Joaquin produce it and I knew him from when he was at Syracuse and it was like and then you have Mason Novak don't you have as yeah. a producer I mean these are like huge people I'm curious how they all came together I have, I have I'm going to put a pin in my other part of the question so you can answer that first well those, everyone it's kind of like recruiting the Avengers like you know at the end of every Marvel movie where Nick Fury is like in the back and he's like how about one more job? You know, like that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. That's what it was like. Let's start with Joaquin, who was an assistant in Hollywood. Him and I met because I randomly, he was having lunch with a friend. Shout out Gabby Lewis. And shout out Gabby. Do you know Gabby? Or, no. No. Shout out Gabby, though. Shout um, out and, to Gabby. And she was like, This is my friend Joaquin. And Joaquin had his ID out. And I saw he was from New York. And I was like, I'm from New York. And then we ended up getting lunch, talking about our love for rom-coms, cut to six weeks later, I'm like, dude, I'm moving to New York to make a movie. Would you want to produce it? And I thought he was the perfect producer, first first time feature producer. So I, you know, we were both very hungry. He's incredibly charming, likable, passionate, great things that you want in a creative producer is someone who's going to A, trust your vision, but also try to make you better. And that was really key. Then you have someone like Mason, who was my manager at the time. Uh, Mason has a company called MXN. He's a very prolific producer. He you know, discovered Diablo Cody. He produced 500 Days of Summer. He was nominated for an Oscar for Juno. And he was my manager at the time. And I sort of just said to him, I would love if you EP'd this and sort of like basically was my coach, basically. Like, you know, like, give me advice. You know, you don't need to be on set every day, but like, help us. And he was like, I would love to. And he does that with many first-time filmmakers. So we were very lucky there. Talking about our cast, I had seen Jabuki on White in a single scene of Someone Great, uh, the Netflix film. And I was like, this guy is a star. And I wrote him a letter. And we got tequilas and tacos. And we talked about our love for movies like Francis Ha. And we talked about romance and like modern wow. dating. And he was like super just passionate and cool. And he's the star that you think he is. Like, you know, he's, he is so bigger. You know, he's just so amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Fran- Francesca I had seen in Stranger Things. I thought she just sold, stole all the scenes she was in. She had a very New York vibe. I was, I thought she just was the character of Wendy and I wrote her a letter and we FaceTimed and it was an amazing FaceTime. I was in Central Park and I was like, hey, come make a movie. And um, that was how I got those two leads. And then the, the funniest of these casting recruitment stories, sorry if this is a long-winded answer. No, but, no, no, keep going. Um, 
is Kat Cohen and Brian Muller. So Kat Cohen, who is as funny and talented as you think, and the scariest part is she's even more of those things. You know, she is the smartest, hardest working. You know, we'd be shooting a scene. She'd do five minute riff of like one joke, but like we're all dying of laughter. And then we'd call cut and she'd be on the phone with her agents and managers working on her TV show. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like how is, you know, she's going to be so prolific. And Kat and I sat down for drinks at Fairfax, shout out West Village. And we were talking about 20 minutes of the movie. She was like, great, this sounds awesome. Like, and then 20 minutes of like our life. And like, that's important too, because you want to connect with your actor. And so she was telling me about two different guys she was seeing. She didn't know which one to pick. And she's talking about these two guys. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. But like this guy who cares about you, you know, he lives in the Upper West Side. Like you guys, if he really likes you, it sounds like this is the guy to go with. So whatever, she leaves. I get a FaceTime from my friend, Brian Muller. And Brian's like, yo, dude. I'm like, what's up, bro? Long time to see. I went to high school. I, I knew him from high school. It had been 10 years. I went to stage door with him. Did you go to stage door with Brian? That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It had been so long. And he FaceTimes me. I'm like, dude, great to see you. And he pans over on the FaceTime. And it's Kat. And Kat was, that was the Brian she was talking about. And she was like... And That's I- a rom-com in and of itself. 100%. 100% of rock on And so I was like, oh my God, dude. And they're like, thank God I was telling Kat that you're the guy for her, like that kind of thing. And I was like, would you audition for this role in the movie? And his tape was so incredible. I was like, you know what? I think you need to play the, the, uh, the, the romantic interest to Kat. Yeah. So I, asked, I asked Kat's permission and she's like, of course, I would love that. And that's how we got the majority of our cast together. Uh, yeah, and real, yeah, it's so funny. Uh, just real life couple, art, art and life, life and art. But watching the film, and you know, I've seen Kat do stand up a bajillion times. She's incredible, and her podcast, Seek Treatment with Pat Regan. But the way that the script and the actors serve each other in terms of their voice is just like it's. I was like, did he write this for her? Is she improving? These scenes, I mean, Jibuki as well, like, and, and I say them just because I know their, their comedic stand-up voice, but really impressive. I was curious if you, was there any thought about making stand-up more of a thing to return to in the film? When I saw Jibuki and I thought, oh, comedian, he might do something, then I, you get a bit of the stand-up. I was curious what, what yeah, tell me. Um, well, and to the to that point about their voices, it was about creating an environment where they felt free enough in their characters to come up with things they wanted. And so I think for someone like Kat, she can do a five-minute take, no cuts, over and over again and giving you new improv lines, but still using the original text as a way to get there. And with Jabuki, same thing, but he actually, I think most of the time, would want to go to script and do it off the script. And like... And derive it from there, which I thought was really cool. And the way he just says the words, like it wasn't written with Kat or Jabuki in mind, but it just yeah. so happened that they were perfect to articulate those words. Mm-hmm. Um, stand up. Yes and no. I didn't want to make it cliche in like the way that every Judd Apatow character is a stand up comic. Right. And I wanted it to have this like he, in that, in that, the reason that exists was he was just doing an open mic night, you know, it was the idea that. What can we have this character do that would show the support of Wendy, his counterpart? And like going to someone's open mic is being a supportive partner and friend. And yeah, so, of course. <laughs> yeah. And like even the joke he says about rollover feelings, 
Mm-hmm. Like I'm actually very proud of like how unfunny yet funny that joke is because it's like the combination of like it's not a good it's not a good joke rollover feelings but like he's trying his hardest <laughs> like you know and so yeah I mean it doesn't register as a bad joke I'm like oh he's he's a he's a comedic mind yeah exactly he's not bombing but he's not like winning the he's not what is it called killing it killing killing yeah yeah murdering so yes I but it was never going to be more than that one scene. Yeah. Um, so when you're writing a, a feature film script and have you written feature film script? I'm sure you've written them in the past. I've written about 20. The only one ever produced <laughs> was, well, I mean, I've, I've been doing this. I mean, since I was like, you know, I wrote my first one in high school and then, you know, trying to sell stuff. I mean, we both have, I'm sure, navigated this business where it's like, it's almost like a numbers game where it's like, you can't put all your eggs in one script. Right. Did Which I did for five years and I, that was a mistake. And so I've written about, yeah, 20. And tell me about your process for, for writing a feature film. I mean, I, as someone who writes, usually I don't write a feature. I've attempted The Beast, but uh, it's pretty difficult. Like, what is your kind of process with brainstorming and rewriting and characters and story coming together? I would love to. By the way, I'm excited for you to write. Like, if I want to read whatever feature and see whatever movie you write. So that's, you should definitely do that um, as a fan. Thank I would you. love that. And um, my process for any writers or just creatives listening is like, I have a notes app. I'm a big notes app guy. Everything Me goes too. into the notes app. I have yeah. way too many ideas. Some are lines of dialogue. Some are scenes. Some are photo based. I have lots of notebooks. I block off 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. every single day for three hours of writing, of which there's about 10 minutes of writing. So it's normalizing that the time you give yourself to write, you know, someone... The best piece of advice I got about professional writers is all a professional writer is, is someone who just writes every day or writes even when they're not inspired. So I think that's important. And when it comes to like a script, like I don't kill myself in the outline. Like I'm very much of the mind of like basic beats of the story and let's go have fun in the dialogue. And I think what was important for this movie was to write something that felt real and relatable, but also that was shootable. I mean, this was not like I wrote scenes in here that are like difficult to go do. It's talking over coffee and, you know, it's walking around New York City. I was really struggling to get a film made in LA and I really wanted to go make my first feature. So I wrote something that I knew I could go do, whether it was going to be with an iPhone and like my friends or with, you know, Jerry Ferrara and Jabuki Young White and Taylor Hill and Ava Victor and a bunch of, you know, a bunch of great comedians. The goal was to make something. So I think for anyone who's listening, who's like a screenwriter, you should write your script. That's going to be like your studio script where it's like a crazy high concept thing, but also write that movie that you can go make on an indie budget, because I think you're much better off making a movie than you are not making a movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. When did you shoot this? 2019, November. And then we did post-production during the pandemic and a little bit not during the pandemic, but mostly a majority of the post-production was done during the pandemic. Wow. And what was the part of the story that came the quickest to you? Oh, that's good. Um, that's a good question. I the, the part of the story that came quickest to me was the first 10 minutes, which I actually think are my favorite, is my favorite part of the movie in some way. I mean, I have my favorite scenes, but like the first 10 minutes is exactly the way I wanted it to come out. And that first 10 minutes is the idea that you can go on a date with someone. It can go really, really great. And you think you're in love. Like, you know, that thing where you come home and you tell your roommate, close the door behind you, slide down the door and say, I, I met the one tonight. And 
Um, and then they can ghost you and <laughs> you can never hear from them again. And I wanted to tell, I wanted to like explore that idea where everything can go right, but it still doesn't work out. And typically in rom-coms, you know, normally the structure of a rom-com has two characters that hate each other and everything's going wrong. And mm-hmm. then they fall in love. There, you don't really see a rom-com where like, yeah, they both swiped right and everything was going good, but then it just, nothing happened. So that yes. was sort of the part that I was like, that's exactly what I want to tackle. Yeah. Something that came up for me as I was nearing the halfway end of the film was how interesting would it be if there was a rom-com that had like an interesting take on polyamory? Mm. Just because so many rom-coms romanticize monogamy and there were parts of dating in New York that I thought were like very honest about these characters being like, I like fucking around. Like I like dating other people and having this. And that was just an honest way of looking at friends with benefits. And I wonder if there we're waiting for uh, another rom-com now about how beautiful a relationship can be when you're not totally committed to being exclusive with your part or your partner, but you still love them. I think it's a great idea for rom-com. You should, is that our movie that we're going to make together? Is- I think it, it might need to be. I mean, it's just something that like everyone likes dating other people and it doesn't mean that you lose. Like, I feel like sometimes the conventional rom-com structure of like you lose if you're committed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where, where it might be a funny 2021 uh, you know, take to have a, a rom-com about, uh, you know, this is my primary partner and uh, these are my secondary and third. This is my husband and this is my girlfriend. That's a great uh, idea. But uh, it's just, it's so good. I'm really so excited for people to watch your film. Um, we have a, a few Q&As that we, I want to get into with you. Let's start with, well, actually, you make a cameo in the film, do you not? I do have a small cameo. Well, it's uh, it's a scene. I guess it's it's uh, I, there is a cameo in the scene. I, I, very method acting in that scene. Yeah. How tall are you, Jonah? <laughs> I'm six two. Um, you're six two. With shoes, without shoes, I'm six foot. But yeah, I'm six two. Okay, you're a clean six two. I'm actually five eight. But you're okay. I've had a few people. You're not. I'm. You'll probably be surprised. Two people said that they matched with you on a dating app. This is what I knew was going to happen. I was like, <laughs> this is going to be. This. People are going to say, this person didn't respond to me on a dating app, which, yeah, two people did. And look, did, so did I not respond? You need to or... answer to them right now, Jonah. Well, who are they? No, they didn't, say you didn't, they didn't say you didn't answer. They said you matched. And, and I'm going to keep them anonymous, but I will have you say this. Are, are you single? Can I ask? I am single. Yeah. What would be your advice to those who have matched with you to get your attention? <laughs> well, what that's, are you looking a great, for? that's a great question. You know, I think oftentimes you match with somebody and you both lose track. And I think it's yeah. that's dating apps are really tough because it it it's so overwhelming. It's you know, it's like it's there's these apps can be super overwhelming and it's tough to really engage with someone. I think I've had the most enjoyable experience with the apps when it's been fairly fast planning. And in fact, this is actually a hinge stat. Agreed. The longer you are talking to someone, the less likely you are to meet up with them. That's like I an actual I always say stat. that too. Yeah. And so my advice to someone who's trying to get someone else's attention on dating app is to say, hey, you know, one or two lines of small talk that's like interesting and not just like, how are you? Although I'm completely guilty of saying, how are you? Mm-hmm. And and then like, let's make a plan. Hey, I'm around this Thursday or would you want to grab martinis or do you want to go on a walk? Like 
pitch something, be specific, give a time, give a place, and like get off the app. So you can actually meet and connect and see if you have a connection. Get off the app, have them on your podcast. Um, <laughs> and then a few other questions. These questions, you know, okay, well, people are interested in dating. I'm combining a few questions. People are interested in dating, but worried about ruining the friendship. Your film, in a way, is an answer to that question. Tell me about your thoughts on we're friends, but we could be something more, but I don't want to lose lose our friendship. Yeah, I think so for anyone listening, like the movie is practical in the sense that if you are friends with someone and you want to explore perhaps something more, but also don't want to fuck up the friendship, there's a pivotal scene in our movie that explores how you can potentially do that, which is a relationship contract scene. But the purpose of that scene is to simply be upfront with your intentions. I feel like one of the biggest things we get lost in, like if you're friends with someone and you're like, you're both into each other, like have a conversation about, okay, look, we're friends. It's a crazy fucking world out there when it comes to dating. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just like watch a movie and like have sex occasionally and like, but we're still friends. Great. Do it. But you need to have a very specific conversation about what your each expectations are of this relationship and have the hard conversation. What happens when one of us starts dating someone else? What happens when one of us catches feelings? You know, be upfront about it. Make it a fun, self-aware conversation. You're both human. You know, you're both, you won't, you both went through a pandemic. Like we're all, we're all trying to just help each other here, hopefully. So a good takeaway for the film is you can do it if you're completely upfront about what you expect from one another. Yeah. I would agree, even though I think it's it's a challenging, it's a challenging road to walk. It's a tough thing to do. Yeah. It is tough. Would you suggest it to some? Like, would you say do it or no? It depends how good of friends you are. Mm. Like I have some people I'm such like I think of like a few people where I'm like, I'm really good friends with them. The thought has come into my mind, like, oh, what if? But I would not want to give up the friendship. Like, it's not worth it. It's not worth exploring on them. Let me use someone. There's tons of people. Just hook up with someone else. You want the in-between relationship doula that is the Jabuki character in our right. movie where you want, yeah, you want someone who's like, I always think it's funny too, the idea of the person who you date after you came out of a serious relationship uh-huh. being the transitional person. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I loved? I loved um, Orbiters. Yeah. Orbiters. Yep. That's a this little satellite. The people that... um Watch the stories, you know, like the photos. All of that dating jargon that was like so like tech and now that felt like, oh, you're putting a name to that. That was, I really appreciated all of that. Another thing, another thing that I forgot to mention was just like New York. We talked dating, but like New York. I mean, and so you're from New York? Born and raised in New York. Are you? City? Yeah, New York City. Okay, Manhattan boy. No, I'm from Connecticut, but I went to NYU. I went to film school. I went to Tisch. Oh, did you really? Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Did you, you went to USC, right? I went to USC, but I love NYU. I honestly have a bit of a, I have like this film school insecurity thing where I know I went to Tisch, but I feel like I didn't because I don't feel like I did it right. And I'm looking at you and I feel like you did it right. And then I have this like voice in my head that pops up and it's just like, Ali, you're fake. I don't know why. Are you kidding me? Well, this is now imposter show because you're the, you're the famous comedian here. What are you talking about? You're the famous podcast comedian. No, no, no. But I feel like I like so like you're the work that you're doing is like the like so admirable to me. And I feel like I'm like writing tweets about guacamole. So like I don't feel I don't feel like I feel like, oh, you did film school, right? I don't know. I sit here and I think the work the work that you're doing is admirable. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm just making indie movies in New York. Like, no, it's it's, not true. It is true. But this is the curse of the artist. We are never satisfied with like we always 
it's imposter syndrome. We always, this is like very common thing that I struggle with every single day, but Right. No, you were like the cool outcome of NYU, Tish. You like had the film knowledge, but you are also... I don't think I have the film knowledge. The, this is the only thing I got from Tish was you make the friends. That's, every, that's the only thing. <laughs> that you is really good friends advice. That, make friends at Tish that'll be in the industry and give you work. That's actually 100%. I just literally texted my cinematographer, Maria Roosh, who also went to Tish. And someone on my Q&A said, what's the, what's the NYU film advice? And I was like, I didn't go there, but let me ask somebody. She literally said, um, connect with people, crew up with people so they can you know, work with you in the future and ask your professors to introduce you to people. Yeah, that's it. So, okay. So maybe I didn't do as bad as I thought. Um, but so many of your New York moments were like, especially ugh, having left New York, kill me. This city sucks. I'm joking. It's okay. LA is all right. But those New York moments, I mean, I, I love dating and I love New York. So God, you got to watch this movie. I sound like I'm being paid. I'm really not. It was just, it was so refreshing. It, I really enjoyed it. Okay. Before we go, I do a questionnaire from inside the actor studio because I used to be an inside the actor studio junkie growing up. So I'm going to ask you the James Lipton questionnaire. Um, okay. Cool. Let's do it. Jonah, what is your favorite word? Holy shit. <laughs> um, not holy shit. Um, that's two words, Jonah. Maybe like, what's my favorite word? Are we kidding? Um, how about, it's not difficult. It's not easy to say, but there's a word from the movie Hook called, uh, where you say bangerang, where it basically is like, they're like war. It's like the, if you're a Hook fan, if you're a 90s baby, um, it's, it sort of stands for like imagination and belief and excitement. So bangerang, it's not easy for me to say, but it's my favorite word. Jonah, do you have a Peter Pan kink? No, no, I do not. <laughs> I, that just called it up for me because I registered Wendy. I just heard your favorite word from Hook. You have a short, you did a short film when I was cruising on the internet that I would love to see about Wendy getting over Peter Pan as an adult. Yeah, that's the movie. I'm like, that's my dream film, by the way. That's the one I spent five years trying to get made that I will make one day. But That's like, my dream film. Sh- let's, you should be in we'll, it. Done. We'll You're talk Wendy. offline. We'll talk offline. Yeah. What is your least favorite word? Unfortunately. What turns you on? Passion. What turns you off? Self-doubt. What sound or noise do you love? I love rainforest sounds. Mm. What sound or noise do you hate? Radiator sounds. Mm. Radiator click. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Mm. Amateur dog photographer. What profession other than your own would you least like to attempt? A doctor. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Holy fuck. That's uh, not that. Um, uh, um, here's the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> Thank you, Jonah. Where can people watch and see your, your great film? Well, the movie comes out September 10th which is a Friday. And I would appreciate, you know, it, this has been my dream since I was four years old. It would mean the world to me if you rented it on iTunes or Amazon. You could go see it in a theater if you're comfortable. Um, it's going to be in LA, New York, and select theaters throughout the country. But watch it at home. Um, even if you don't watch it, telling a friend about it, tweeting about it, Instagramming it would mean the world. A bunch of, you know, us, 50 of us worked on this movie really hard. And um, we all, everyone, all the crew and cast own part of the film. So you truly are supporting indie cinema. And I would just love that to just watch it, talk about it and um, send it to an ex. 
to watch. Yes. Send it to an ex. So that comes out this Friday, September this Friday. 10th. Thank you so much, Jonah. I'm really excited for people to watch Dating in New York. I loved it. Allie, thank you so much for having me on here. You're awesome. Big fan. And uh, we'll, we'll make a movie together. I look forward to it. 